Hello, this is Melissa Hale Spencer, the editor of the Altamont Enterprise. On Monday, we talked to Rebecca Tallou of Voorheesville about her diagnosis of fetal alcohol syndrome and her activism in educating others about the disability. Fetal alcohol spectrum disorders can include physical problems and problems with behavior and learning, or a mix of both according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. On Tuesday, the day after we had talked with Rebecca, the highly respected Journal of the American Medical Association published a study that showed many more children than previously thought have been harmed by their mothers drinking alcohol during pregnancy. The study makes a conservative estimate that up to 1 in 20 children fall on the spectrum of disorders. But using another method outlined in the study, that number could be as high as 1 in 10. Those numbers showing the prevalence of this disability make listening to Rebecca's story all the more important. So here's our conversation. So welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you very much, Melissa. Um, I guess I'll just start by saying I was honored to be asked to come in today and share my story. Um, Fetal alcohol syndrome is the biggest preventable um, brain damage disease in the the Northeast. Um, And I was diagnosed at 34 years of age, which is not very common. Usually kids are diagnosed between ages... I would say like two and five, um, but I made it through pretty good until um, college. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, well, it's stunning if you can see Rebecca. I will just describe her. She's a beautiful young woman, and there's nothing that you would see or know about a disability by looking at her or talking to her. So, if you could just kind of begin at the beginning of your story and tell us a little about how your life unfolded and and why perhaps it wasn't diagnosed for all those many years. Sure. So um, I was adopted out of New Jersey at one month old. And I, um, my parents, it was a closed adoption. So my parents adopted me. They lived in Maryland. Now, what does that mean, a closed adoption? So a closed adoption is where we had, um, my parents got a sheet of paper and it had my birth mother's first name, her date of birth, her hobbies, and that I was a healthy baby, and that's it. Um, so an open adoption would allow the adoptive parents to communicate with or know more about the birth yes, mother? Okay. Yep, a closed adoption. There are still, I believe, I could be wrong on this, 11 states that still have closed adoptions, and they are fighting, New York is one of them, to have open records. Mine are sealed or were as until last year. Um, so it was, we were given very minimal information. My parents adopted me at one month. Um, I was considered healthy. I came back to their home and I was very sick from the week I got home off and on until I was about 18 months. Um, I had constant ear infections, bronchitis. I was put on so many medications, I didn't eat, so I didn't gain weight. Um, I was way below the growth chart for my age, and uh, my parents were fretful. They had no idea what was going on, and um, 
they thought I wasn't eating because of the medications. I wasn't, so therefore I wasn't growing. Um, so they didn't know what was going on. And uh, they took me to the pediatrician. And the pediatrician said, look, she's adopted. And uh, the sheet of paper that my parents were given said I was healthy. And my birth mother had written on there that she had drank during pregnancy, but she wasn't an alcoholic. So um, I was born in 1980, and um, the pediatrician said, look, she does have, I had some features, facial features of fetal alcohol syndrome, which was a flattened upper lip, and my eyes were, I guess, spaced um, oddly, like a little further apart than some other children. And uh, the pediatrician said, I could have fetal alcohol syndrome. Maybe that's why I'm not eating. But nothing was um, written in stone, and there were no tests back in 1980. There still aren't two tests for fetal alcohol. Um, So he left my parents to just kind of deal with it. And he was there, I mean, but there wasn't, he didn't say I had fetal alcohol. He said, possibly. So then my parents just kept dealing with medications, and um, 18 months, I got tubes in my ears. And after that, I started eating, and I started growing, and all my milestones, I talked on time, I walked on time, all that was fine, and I did well in school. So the whole possible fetal alcohol syndrome, that was just put on a shelf um, because I was successful, and not much was known how much a birth mom or any mother can drink while expecting and the baby still be okay. Um, Which in reality, there is no safe amount. But so, I mean, that was, and then I went to school and then high school was great. Um, College was where it fell apart though, because there's so much expected of you. And I didn't have my parents to fall back on to be like, did you do this? Did you do that? You know, for homework and all that. Um, And I was a speech therapy major. So when I went to student teach, I had to drive to a school in inner city Rochester. And part of my brain difficulty is I can't follow directions. So to get to the school on time was a disaster. Um, And that affected my grade in student teaching because the teacher just thought I couldn't get it together. And that's what I thought that I just wasn't good at directions. Um, but I did pass undergrad somehow, and then I got... And there was a happy note there. There was. Oh, yes, sorry. Because you yes. fell in love with the man I did. that became your husband. So. I did. I did. Um, I met Jason, who is my husband of almost 15 years this coming September. I believe it'll be 15. And um, he has been an amazing husband and father. We have two little boys, and he has been my rock throughout all it, all of this. Once I got diagnosed, um, he started seeing my little quirks. And so together we can circumnavigate them and kind of go through life together. Um, and we laugh at the silly stuff that I do. But um, it's been great having him in my corner. So, Yeah, well, um, you mentioned this thing with maps. And you put together a video about yourself, yes. which people can see. It's on YouTube, yes, right? Yes, it is. Yep. And I think, I think it's in the video where I saw that, how a map looks to you. Mm-hmm. And it's just stunning because it isn't at all like 
we see a map and there's no way anybody could find their way out. It's like, it's kind of like a maze with all impossible directions leading nowhere. So it just gives you a little tiny insight into what it must be like on a day-to-day basis to have to deal with that. And Rebecca has also written an autobiographical book about, it's, um, I was able to read just part of it, but it's about finding herself both in the sense of her birth mother and heritage, but also finding herself in the sense of her soul in dealing with this. And it's it's very moving, the passages that I read. So tell us a little about how you cope and how you came to write a book and become kind of an ambassador for this um, syndrome. So um, when I started searching for my birth mom, I love. I have loved to write since I was little. Since I was in elementary school, that's what I do. So when I got to college, I started writing poetry and I started searching kind of for my birth mom. Not seriously, but I would go on and do searches. Um, after I had my second son, Nicholas, he's five now, I decided that I wanted to know who I look like and I wanted a medical history. Um, And at that point, I had not been diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. So um, my second son was born, and I took the information I had about my birth mom. And I took some guess. I started a guessing game because I was born in New Jersey. So I figured she was born in Jersey and stayed in New Jersey. And I just searched. I searched first name and her birth date, and I had um, some people help me. And I searched yearbooks, and that's how I found my birth mom. Um, is that she was, there was a photo of her senior year in uh, Bogota, New Jersey, um, class of 1958, senior yearbook, and she looked identical to me in high school. Identical. Oh, what what did that feel like when you found that picture? (laughs) To be honest, and this is in my book, I looked for it. I looked for her... um, I looked her at her picture, and then I closed the book, and I said, oh, my gosh, she looks like a man. And I closed it, <laughs> and then I went up to bed. <laughs> and I came back down the next morning, and I said, I reopened it, and I said, that's her. I knew she had a Polish last name because a social worker had told me I was Polish, and she had a Polish last name. And it was Joan, um, she passed away, so but Joan Chanelski, so I can tell you her name, and it was Polish, looked just like me, and I sent the photo to my mom and my dad and my brother, and my um, and they all said, oh my goodness, you found her. Um, my husband thought the same thing, but he was more, um, he didn't want me to get upset and get my hopes up, because I didn't know what else I was going to find, so he kind of was reserved and said, well, maybe, maybe not. So yeah, it was, it turned out to be her. And then once you had her name as well as her face, what, what happened then? How did you proceed? So what I, once I had her name and her face, um, I actually had a lady who was a search angel. Um, and what search angels do is they help others find their family members. Um, there's no cost. They just really want to help people connect with those that they've never met or that they've lost touch with. So um, you can, you know, Googling, and I found the search angel that, just reached out to me after I had reached out to her and told her I had found Joan. And she told me she had found her um, a death cert, like not a death certificate, but like a something about Joan's death in New Jersey on some website. 
So I went to the website and I found it and it said she had passed away in 1999. So then I proceeded to get the death certificate, which is public, and I got her whole estate file and um, it came to my house (laughs) and on it, the death certificate was a person's name that had um, her, it wasn't a next of kin. It was like her best friend. So then, um, and this is part of my brain, I become obsessive. So I took that name and I plugged it into Google and I found that lady's daughter and then I was hooked up with her and then I found other people that knew my birth mom that worked with her at a bars, at the bars and pretty much told me um, she was never sober. Um, the lady that brought her into the delivery room for me, her daughter... Um, I spoke to, and she's like, oh, you're a blast from the past. My mom brought her into the to the hospital when she had you, and she was intoxicated. I'm like, oh. So, so you were just, oh, I mean, wasn't, that I must was, have been upsetting to have heard. It I was, mean, I knew she had drank, and the more people I talked to, I learned that she was a bartender, and I learned that she she would drink, after her shift, she would drink during her shift. So when this lady told me my mom brought her to the emergency room and she was drunk, I was not that surprised because I had already kind of talked to some people that said she did drink a lot. But that just led me further on my search to be to, um, you know, okay, so she did drink a lot. But even at that point, I wasn't like, oh, I have fetal alcohol syndrome. I still went on thinking everything's fine. And so what made you realize what your diagnosis was? How did that come about? So what happened is I went to visit my parents in South Carolina with my boys. And my mom and I are very close. And um, I'm very impulsive. And there are times when my mom and I will talk. And um, I had gone on this big search. I had found my birth family. And um, my mom and I were just talking about it. And she just said that I had put in a lot of time, a lot of effort, and I had taken away some time from my kids. And I had. I absolutely, for those who want to search, just be careful because it can suck you in. And it did. But I didn't want to hear that from my mom. So we got in a big fight. And um, just like I go from zero to 60 verbally, so I had verbal diarrhea like within seconds. So we got in a fight, and then we made up. We were fine. But I left their house, and I came back to New York. And my mom called me two days later, and she's like, I got this pamphlet from the adoption agency that we adopted you from. They send mail every so often. And it had this thing, fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And so she's like, and I started reading it. And she said, and I think your impulsivity and how you struggled in math and school. She's like, I think you have this, given what you know about your birth mom. And um, we both started crying, and um, I took it upon myself, because I was 34, to seek out somebody who would diagnose me, just so I would have an answer to my quirks. So... And you found this doctor who's in the capital region. Yes. And she was able to do just that. She was. And the funny thing is, she's a pediatric geneticist. 
So she's usually diagnosing yeah, kids, kids with this disease. So yeah. I sent her a letter. I sent her pictures of me as a baby that had fetal alcohol um, facial features. And she took me as a client. I was her first adult. She was so excited, though, because she diagnosed me with fetal alcohol syndrome, which is under the umbrella for fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And um, she said that I was awesome to speak with because I was a positive outcome for fetal alcohol um, spectrum disorders. You certainly are. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. and you told me that's when everything fit. All these things in your life had not made sense before, and now you suddenly had an explanation. Did. So that must have been a wonderfully liberating diagnosis. It was. It was amazing. And um, at first I had people tell me, why do you need to know now? You're 34 years old. It doesn't matter. It's not going to change anything. And I said, you don't understand if I get this diagnosis 34 years forward to now, I will have an answer for why I'm so, I have little quirks. I'm socially, I'm better than I used to be, but I used to want to be everybody's best friend. And I still have little quirks. Um, directions are horrendous for me. So I thank goodness for GPS and for my phone. <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, so tell us on like a day-to-day basis how, because you have what seems to be the life everybody wants, happily married, two beautiful boys that you adore, a job that you really like. So how do you manage on like a day-to-day basis with really what is a disability? It's, um, I think, because I, I don't know if I want to say I compensated for so many years, but I also have a mild case, which is amazing. I mean, it's I am very lucky. Um, so pretty much, I go by calendars. I have a calendar in my phone that gives me what I have to do, like if I have this appointment was on my phone. Now, mind you, sometimes I put it on the wrong date, so <laughs> that sometimes happens. Um, but my husband actually is amazing because he gets the kids home from school. He does dinner. Um, he checks their folders because that stuff I can do, but I don't remember as much as he does because a problem with me is I am egocentric at some point. So a lot of things that I'm thinking about are what I have to do for me. And since I've had kids, it's gotten better, but, um, it's a struggle. It's a struggle to, but I get to my job on time. Sometimes I'm a little late, but not too bad. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, time management is an issue. Um, and when I started my new job, it was a whole new system. It was a whole new computer system. So that was hard. But my boss took me under his wing and he, I divulged to him what I had. And, um, he's working with me the way I learn, which is I'm a visual learner and I need to do things over and over and over again. So, well, we should name him. So he gets some credit. Who who is, who is this great boss? (laughs) I'll say John. Okay. (laughs) Well, if you, um, think to step back and uh, treating you like an emissary for this syndrome, what, what should people know? Um, I guess the simple thing to start with is how to prevent it. It sounds pretty easy. If you're pregnant, you should not drink, period, right? Right. No alcohol, zero. Correct. Not at all, none. And that's easily preventable if people just do it. It is, yeah. But as far as 
people dealing with others who have this syndrome, like what should be we be aware of? What? How should we proceed? Because there apparently there's apparently a lot of it out there that we're just not aware of. It doesn't have the high profile that a lot of no. other. I guess it's kind of invisible. It I is. Mean, you it can't is. really see it in you know. or know that it's there. Um, people that you will talk to who teach about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, um, it is known as an invisible disability. It is. I, in in the um, UK and in Canada, it is very widespread, and they have a lot of teachings about it, and they have a lot of um, help for parents and educators. And I am one person, but along with other people that I hope hop on this train of education, the United States, I will just do Albany. I'll do New York State. Need to be educated. Everybody. Um, so I, there are parents that have asked me for help with their children. Um, some children with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders have trouble with um, promiscuity. They uh, have trouble with decision-making. They make very bad decisions. They end up in jail because sometimes our brains just were impulsive. That is one common thread among every, I think, almost everyone with fetal alcohol syndrome. We're very impulsive. So I think just to deal with it, I guess, and it's hard to try to be a, have open communication with your children. And sometimes it is very hard for someone with fetal alcohol syndrome or a spectrum disorder to tell you exactly what's going on and what they think they're going to do and why. But just be open and leave the lines of communication open. Um, well, that's good advice for anyone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Not just, yeah, I like absolutely. It, yeah. Um, it's every child is so different. Um, for me, I need to write things down and I'm a visual learner. So for those parents who have kids that don't listen to directions and are defiant, just like in the classroom, break down the steps, put one on the board or put one on a board at home instead of putting two or three. And do one step at a time. Yeah. And so it isn't overwhelming. Right. It's just, I finished that step. And now what's continue. the, yeah. Because yep. one thing you mentioned to me was just by coincidence, the home that you were raised in your parents' home was like a very orderly. It was. And that seems to have done well by you as also. Exactly. Yeah. My mom had this huge calendar, and I loved it, and I, I should get one for myself, but I wouldn't write on it. But she had this huge calendar, and she would put all of our games, my brother and I, all of our doctor's appointments, different colors, and it's and we had an ordered an orderly household, but we were I mean they weren't strict or anything, but it just was orderly, and that that's what I thrived on it, and I didn't know I did, but I did. I knew when everything was, I knew what to expect, and um, yeah, and my parents, I think not knowing I had a disability, um, they just I, I hate to say this, they didn't treat me any different. They let me go for my dreams, even to this day. They're like, follow your dreams. You want to be a writer? Do your full-time job. But, you know, don't give up on educating and teaching and do what you want to do, and we will support you. And they have always, they're amazing. Oh, they sound like wonderful they parents. They are. They're amazing. Absolutely So incredible. tell me about this dream of writing. What, in addition to everything else, what is <laughs> yeah. it you'd like to be writing? What kind of writing? I don't, I just, I wrote the book, which was easy because I had all these journal entries, and I just wrote from my experience. 
Um, yeah, the sections that are online, I read, you know, through the Amazon. It's an Amazon. Yes, book. I edited it myself. And it's, <laughs> no, it's just very personal. Yeah. It's, it feels, it makes sense now that you say it came from journal entries because you feel like you're reading Anne Frank's diary, like you're oh. reading a diary, you know? Like it's yeah. very personal. Yeah. And it's hard to, I would think, to be that revealing about yourself. So, so yeah, another thing with my brain <laughs> is that I, uh, I have no issues like putting stuff out there, which is great, but in retrospect, I have, I mean, like everyone else, I put stuff out there. I can't take it back. So there's been occasions when I've, you know, minorly hurt someone's feelings because I put stuff out there without thinking. But um, in a case with my book, though, I put it out there. I, and I'm like, you know what? If people read it and decide, they can make their own decisions. It's, I wanted everything out there. It's a little scary, but yeah. So have you gotten what kind of a reaction from your book? Um, amazing, actually. It's um, the only kind of negative response I got was a girl who said, pay somebody to edit it. And I, I agree, but I didn't have the money, so I edited it myself. But what were some of the good responses? <laughs> I just got a response from um, a friend of mine on Facebook. I've never met her. She's a birth mother, actually. And um, she said she messaged me over the weekend and said, I have a lot of trouble reading books like yours because it makes me go back to a place that, you know, being a birth mom and how I gave my child up. She goes, but I read your book and I applaud you because it makes me feel so much better about myself. And she's like, you did an incredible job. Isn't that great to hear that from somebody you don't know and just touch them and made them feel better about their own decisions. So have you gotten other responses like that from your book? Yep, I've gotten responses of, um, I read your book and my child has fetal alcohol syndrome and um, so many things of what you said. I just kept nodding my head every time I read a passage of like how you socially interacted when you were younger. And so parents have told me that I have helped them realize that they're not alone, that they're, you know, a lot of the success of those with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, 90 to 95% of the success is from the environment they are raised in. So. so it can make a huge difference. So is there more awareness now in the medical community than there was when you were born, do you think? Or Absolutely. Is it still, yeah, because you were just kind of... You and your parents out there yeah. without any diagnosis for all those years. The CDC, um, Center for Disease Control, and the National Institute of Health um, in the past two years has come a long way, and they have written articles that no amount of alcohol is safe for those pregnant or that want to get pregnant because there is the chance that you could be pregnant and you don't know. So if you are trying to conceive don't drink. I mean, and it's, I get it. It's hard. It's hard. I mean, it, um, I did not drink during my pregnancies, but if you're trying to conceive and you don't know if you are, it happens. Um, but the CDC and National Institute of Health have stated there is no safe amount. I agree with that. CDC has now gotten in touch with American Academy of Pediatrics and they're on board now. And, um, I actually sent, I have a photo with a little saying, of uh, 
If you think you're pregnant, don't drink. Is this, I saw you developed a thing. It's got like a baby's pacifier yes, with an upside so down that, wine glass That's over one it. of them. Yep, yeah. I have a couple. So that's one of them. And then the one I sent was a picture of my son. He does not have fetal alcohol, but it's a really cute picture. And then I put a passage saying, if you think you're pregnant, think before you drink. And um, I reached out to the pediatrician I take my kids to, and I haven't heard back about using that in their office just because I think, I don't know, I think expectant moms, there's not all of them, not many drink, but I just think it needs to be out there. Yeah, well, the common wisdom (laughs) on that has changed even since I was pregnant. They used to say you can drink. A glass of wine is fine. Absolutely. Yes, so that's just good to get that message out because people would unwittingly, you know. Up until two years ago, even people... It did. The CDC did not say there was no safe amount. They just came out in the past two years, so that's pretty good so progress. You're kind of like riding the crest of a wave here. Yeah. Just you know, things are breaking, and you're on top of it and helping to spread yeah. the news. So hope, yes, I just yeah. I want to spread awareness and yeah. Well, we're, our time went very quickly. Sorry, Do you have any concluding thoughts that you think would be, you know, sometimes we don't touch on the most important things to somebody. Um, no, I, this was an amazing opportunity, and I just hope that people will listen and um, read the article. And if anyone has any questions, um, I'm easy to find on Google. So <laughs> be careful what you ask for. Exactly. Again. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Melissa.